0: Welcome to another episode of Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. In this episode, Chad and I sit down and follow up our discussion on the previous podcast of Pedagogy of Kindness. In this one we titled, King is Dead, Long Live the King. And in this episode, we talk about the demise or the rise and fall of learning outcomes and syllabi. Ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Three, two, one, and welcome back, everybody, to the Praxis Pedagogy Podcast P3, as we come to call it. We've actually been P3. If you want to know the origins of that, you can go back and listen to some of our episodes. But frankly, I can't remember which one it is. But I it's it was there. The last one.
1: It was it the last one? I know. I we were making the joke about P cubed. I think that's where it was. So, oh, guess, but it, was
0: it? But was that in this one, like our Christmas special ones, or was that in like a, a an actual interview with an actual other person?
1: Oh, now you got me wondering, because I I thought it was in like one of our Christmas special ones where it's just you and me sitting down and having a chat, but maybe not, I don't know. Somebody else okay. maybe could let us know.
0: Well, the mystical show notes may let us know. I don't know if it'll show it or not, but anyway, needless sure. sure to say, here we are, and um, we're uh, ready to kick off the third Christmas special. And uh, this is, we're piggybacking off of the last one where we didn't get a chance to talk about the last section that you wanted to talk about, Chad. So how about you lead bat us into this episode?
1: Yeah, like last episode, we talked a lot about, um, it was a pedagogy of kindness is what we discussed. So we kind of we had a really good discussion about the definition of kindness. Then we kind of discussed how kindness and empathy and grace you mentioned kind of plays out into our pedagogy. And I really really enjoyed that discussion we had about grace and all that. And then we t- we touched sort of on what I labeled as the king is dead, long live the king, and about how we need to believe in our students and believe our students. And so I thought we could unpack that whole believing in our students a little better, more or a little more today, it's just because we we both so much that i think we can talk to on that those points so yeah i thought i pitched it to you as like why don't we come back and do it i think we actually did that in the last episode we said we needed to come back and do it so here we are the king is dead Long live the king
0: (laughs) (laughs) correct amando so what what does that all mean for you
1: for me and i i don't know for me i do know it means that the role of the, the teacher student relationship is changing and I think I mentioned in the last episode, the whole idea of having the teacher be in charge and the teacher be up at the front and the lecture. And we had this discussion about the, I mentioned the death of the lecture. And then you came at me with, well, you wouldn't say that the lecture is necessarily dead, which I agree with. But how we have that that typical paradigm of a, an instructor up at in front and the students sitting in the desks facing them like it's a movie and us entertaining them with our stories and our lessons on the board and our PowerPoints that we read directly from and then we give our students worksheets and then we lecture and we give our students worksheets and then we might be really interactive and maybe get them in a group project and that sort of thing. So like typical classroom stuff. Whereas I think for myself, as soon as I started involving my students more and more in the educational process and by that, I mean like having them actually design their own resources spending way less time focused on me, way more time focused on them and what they want to add into these resources and then just trying to become more of a mentor and a facilitator as well as there are times where I'm just going to have to sit down with them and discuss with them and talk with them through certain concepts and I'm not saying that you know we're getting rid of all teachers by doing this but I do think that we need to give our students a lot more agency and it makes it it helps them engage a lot more with the, the subject matter that we're teaching them? Because at the end of the day, do we really want them to just memorize and regurgitate or do you want them to synthesize and contextualize and have it become part of who they are?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question because it kind of depends on where you're coming from and where you're going, right? And so the two of us coming from a trades background, it's so easy to fall into that. Well, we just need them to regurgitate information because really we're just gearing them up for an exam. Right. Um, and I was, I was one of those guys in that camp that thought that for a long time in the sense that, you know, uh, what we do here is absolutely real and significant in the role of the apprentice, but we're not here to train them hand skills or technical skills in the sense of, you know, of something major. I mean, yeah, we have practicals and yeah, we may introduce a new way of doing something, but there, there is not a lot of emphasis on the mastery piece of that. It's more along the lines of the mastery of the content when it comes time for the Red yeah. Seal exam at the end of their four yeah, years, yeah. right? So it, it's easy to fall into that category of, yeah, you know what? No, we just need them to re- remember and regurgitate because we are just a cog in the wheel called apprenticeship. Um, but I've come to understand that for me, and I think for a lot of people and they are coming to this understanding, that that's very nearsighted and narrow bandwidth. Um, nearsighted in the sense that you're not really addressing a lot of needs in your classroom. You're just dumping information on the table and hoping that these these people, young people can catch that information, hold onto it for six or eight weeks or mm-hmm. 10 weeks mm-hmm. or over two or three, four years even. Um, and then pass the red seal. And then we scratch our head and, and ask the question, well, how come our red seal uh, pass rates are so low? Well, I don't know, maybe because it's the way we're teaching yeah. them, but that may not be the right question that people, well, that's the right question, but it may not be the question that people wanna hear because there's, they're caught in that paradigm. The other one that I keep thinking of is, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's interesting how to do that. And, okay, so I know that with the co-creation piece, that there's a lot of um, flexibility in that. And I remember watching a YouTube video and uh, I'll link it in the mystical show notes um, for people who want to go look at it. But it was about this um, K to 12 instructor. And I think he was grade eight to nine, I believe, biology teacher. And it was a TED talk. And he was explaining to the crowd how he took his classroom and essentially made it into well i'm gonna call it a restaurant
1: yeah you sent that to me that's on friday that was amazing it's yeah. so cool and they have a menu i'll, I'll let you speak to it <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey settle down man this is my story <laughs> and uh so this, this this guy creates this menu plan for his students in his classroom and I'm glad he mentioned this in his talk cuz immediately I'm going to okay dude that's a lot of work man that's a lot of work mm-hmm. and he goes and he goes in the in the episode a few times he goes yeah you know what I spent my summer doing this part of it but on the flip side of that he gives his students this menu and they come in and they get to pick and choose what they want to do. Now he's aligned all of that, of course, with his course outlines and what his his state-manded uh, uh, targets that he has to make sure that he hits and teaches on. And that's all fine and dandy because then that hits close to home as to what we need to do when we're teaching in the School of Business or in School of Construction and Environment, right? We have things that we have yeah. to teach like we're just we're required to teach it and yep. that's okay but he took it and just totally morphed it and i went oh that is mm-hmm. brilliant because now you've got now you've got the really smart students in the class who are going okay i already know this i already know this and i already know this uh but i want to know more about this and i and, and listen to the language i want to yeah. know more yeah right? Not this, I have to learn this. It's, I want to right. learn this. And and I'm just like, I'm blown away by this. And of course, that's why I sent it to you and, and to another friend of ours, because it just blows out of the water, this whole thing of you teach A and then you teach B and then you teach C and then you teach D. It, it just says, okay, here we have A, B, C, and D. It's on the table. You pick what yep. you want to do.
1: And at the end of the day, some people need to go through all steps, all four, A, B, C, D, and some just need to go straight to D.
0: Oh, yeah. No, it, obvi- yeah. No, obviously. <laughs> not. Uh, um, no, but that, that's, that's that's precisely yeah. the point in the sense that students who are more self-directed yeah. can take that self-directed approach and get through the program. Thank you very much. And then those students who aren't self-directed or are struggle yeah. with that, guess what? They get a good chunk of the instructor's yeah. time and and it's not one instructor to 18 20 or 30 it's one instructor to 4 right. or 5 right and so i can see that there's a bit of a juggling act now on on the instructor's piece because he has to understand where each one of those little groups are in the process and what they're doing and so he's he's got to stay on top of it a bit more and in a semester or a term structure you know that's going to be easier to do than in a trades situation where or even in the school of business situation where you know i've got these guys and ladies for 13 yeah. weeks right for three hours a a, a week for 13 weeks um could it work in higher ed? Yep. Yeah, I think it can. It's probably going to take some tweaking, but I th- I think it can work. And man, it would just blow the doors off of
1: I agree. what we're doing. I totally I, I love the idea that the students can just pick off the cart, right? So we're wheeling it around. Okay, some will take to the online learning, some are more hands on, some are more textual. It, it's just absolutely inspiring. And but the whole idea behind it is we're bringing the students in and letting them decide how they want to learn.
0: Yeah. And so it addresses that whole agency piece. Um, And I I just cut this picture in my head. It's almost like dim sum in a sense that, you know, you're going to get the base, the base level stuff, right? You're going to get, you're going to get, (laughs) you're going to get your base level food, right? Everyone's going to get it. But then if you want to add to it, you can pick and choose what you want to learn based on what you already know. So it's already now addressing the, the the previous knowledge that a student yep. brings into a class, right? And not just assuming that they don't know anything and everyone's got to start at ground zero, exactly. no matter what.
1: And they don't. And so that's an, And so then some get completely bored by it and others are completely lost by it because you can't just teach to the slowest person in the class, but you can't rush ahead. So you try to find that middle ground, but in this process of the middle ground being found, some are being left behind and some are still bored. So i love the idea by bringing the students in and having different activities. And what he mentioned too, is he made sure that every item in that, on those menus lined up to the core learning outcomes that they had to hit, right? The core curriculum. So all four items would cover all those learning outcomes that needed to be hit. It's just how deep did you want to go? Which is brilliant because some just need, you know, they just need the bread and the water and others want to go full on steak dinner. So it's, you let them have those.
0: <laughs> and some want the steak dinner for the bread and water <laughs> Yeah, that's
1: that's another <laughs> podcast for another episode. That's yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Call that steak dinner on <laughs> yeah. cheap.
1: But yeah, I think and this just the whole idea of like asking our students how they want to learn too. And we we often tell them how they're going to learn and especially nowadays, like Their attention spans are dropping like crazy. There's so much great technology out there that we can use to our advantage. Why not ask them how they want to take it in and and help them kind of build the resources that they need? And I've said this before and I'll say it again, the subject matter is the smallest part of our job. We need to be teaching our students and I don't care if we're trades instructors, school of business instructors or grade two teachers. We need to teach our students how to learn on their own, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's that metacognition piece, right? Where they, they, they have to learn how they yeah. learn and it often brings up for me the question or the con or the, the, I don't know if it's a question, m- brings up to me the, the concept of learning styles. And I know I mentioned that in certain crowds and I just get looked at like I'm the Neanderthal. <laughs> and then there are some people that look at me and go, what learning styles, what's I that know. Mean? And so. You know, I've asked some people like, what do you think about learning styles? And they go, oh, dude, haven't you read the latest articles on that? That's all been debunked for years now. There's no such thing as learning styles. Forget all that. <laughs> and then you listen you listen to other people and they go, oh, no, no, listen, there's more to learning styles than what people understand. And they list off three or four or five things. And I'm like, okay, which one is it? And, you know, I'm, i it's just like I'm standing there and I'm, I'm like the Lego Batman. I'm like, okay, yeah. which one do I pick? And it's like dude, like, ah, it just drives me crazy. But anyway, it's it's that metacognition piece that comes in and I go, okay, this is brilliant because we, we are finding that more students come in the classroom. They don't know how to think critically. I agree. Right. And, and so you you just can't bring them in and start them off at the critical thinking level of seven. Like you got to start it somewhere. You got to scaffold it, so to speak. Right. But there, there comes a point where they become responsible for how they learn and how they're going to engage with the material. And you know what, that takes control out of our hands. And I don't think some people
1: like, no. That. And I think that's what it boils down to is it, it's, there's a lot of comfort in knowing exactly. I've got these learning outcomes. I've got this curriculum that line, that's all lined up. I've got my worksheets and everything else, my lectures, my PowerPoints all built towards it. So when I walk into class, I know that from seven 30 till two o'clock, my whole day is planned out and, I've got complete control over that and if the students can't get on that schedule then that's they're just gonna have to get extra help after class yeah. which they don't yeah. a lot of them
0: which they don't no no they don't and so is there another aspect to this king is dead long live the king thing that that we can we can crack open for
1: people I just think the I just like to keep talking a little bit more about like how we need to start listening to our students and we need to stop blaming students for, you know, they, they don't learn it. There's this whole idea behind, you know, I, I, they always fail this test. I don't know why, but for some reason, my students always get like, I, my class average on this test is blah, 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 like 40%. I don't understand why students don't get this. And while well, when we start seeing stuff like that happen, maybe we need to look at our own practice and say to ourselves, if we are seeing such terrible results from all of our students. Maybe we need to start investigating how we're teaching it as opposed to how they're learning it and start stop blaming the students for that they're doing poorly on tests and start figuring out ways that they can do better on them. And so like a common thing is like, you hear people talk about how students are getting the, I even said it too, like I said, the students are, their attention spans are getting smaller and smaller. And we talk about how that's a problem, but maybe instead of talking about the problem, what can we do to invite the students in to help us solve what that problem is? So, how do we use social media to help reach our students? How do we get them excited about learning beyond just trying to regurgitate answers on a test? I mean, there's there's all these paradigms that we have to try to break through. And so, I don't even know how to begin doing that because there's a few people talking about it. But I think it's it's a, such a huge machine to try to break through. And again, the whole grading or cooperative grading or bringing your students into the grading process. I mean, that's something we could discuss too because that totally blows assessment out of the water as do far as they're it. concerned um Trust. as far as do when we it. get to especially grading i just i can't stand i get so many students that come in and they're freaked out about tests they always say i don't do well on tests i can't do math because i can't i can get it but then when tests comes they, they suffer from the classic test anxiety and all their mark their whole mark is based on tests and so we're not doing anything to help these students we're just telling them that they need to get tutoring for the tests so we need to change the system so it's not based solely on On the tests. If that makes any sense.
0: Makes total sense. How do we do that?
1: Well, what I'm doing is I'm trying to bring my students more into the assessment process. So what I've been doing with this last class is we do a lot of, um, there's a lot of quizzing that happens. Like you have these tests and they have to be entered, like the marks have to be entered into our learning management system it's whether I teach foundation level two level three level four whatever I have to they have to take these quizzes so what I do with my class now is I have them I I've spoken before about getting them into groups so I put them in these groups and now instead of all their tests and quizzes being done individually I have them take group tests together and so they sit with each other and they, uh, they get the one test. And as a group, they have to kind of come up with the answers and negotiate with each other and talk them through. And at first, I was a little nervous doing that because I thought, well, what's going to happen is you're going to get, there's generally going to be the one person who kind of gets it at the table and everybody else will copy. And so I mentioned that I would be watching for stuff like that happening, but it, it shouldn't have even been a concern. Like it's what some of the best learning that I find happens now during these quizzes. They are having these wonderful discussions about all these concepts that some of them remember some of them don't they're having debates about it they're showing each other how to do it they're walking through it it's completely changed how I've done assessment and so then they they all get the group and it's funny because you'll have a group of four people writing the same test four tests come in some of them still get 90% some of them still get 70% so they're they're sticking with their guts on things but they're still having discussions so that's kind of one of the things I've, I've been working at is that the whole idea of these group tests because that's the way it is in regards to like trades anyways, when you're out in the field, they these you're working in teams, you're talking to people. I mean, it's life. You're not doing anything alone. So why should we have to assess alone? Why not have people come into the process and, and help each other out? Yeah,
0: that's a good point because we know that the K to 12 system has changed to a degree, well, changed a lot in a lot of degrees, but they're moving towards more a collaborative approach to learning, right? And so you're seeing more and more pods or groups teams you know whatever you want to call them get together at earlier and earlier stages and now they're they're doing it in like kindergarten and so you know you could argue that a lot of it done at the younger ages is about socialization and integration but really at the heart of it it's it's giving opportunities for kids to learn how to work together with other people because guess what when you get into higher levels of education, like you're nine to 12s and you get into higher ed or you get out into the workforce, guess what? You gotta learn to work with people. Yep. And most often you have to learn to work with people who are older than you, right? Yep. Even though the millennial generation is the biggest generation ever and they're gonna flood the job market and there's gonna be more of them in the job market than than any generation uh, combined and, and, you know, who give or take, whoever you listen to. But, you know, they're going to have to work with people that are older than them. And so this, this working together in groups is a fantastic idea. It's a fantastic approach. It, mm-hmm. it, it blows out of the water the whole notion of everyone's an empty bucket that I got to pour stuff into. Yes. And, you know, when you talk about getting rid of assessments and group tests and stuff like that, you know, I can just imagine people are riding in their chairs going, Oh no, but how do you do this? And how do you how do you assess that? And and you know, I don't know. I don't know. But maybe the this is an opportunity for people to have those conversations. And guess what? You're probably not gonna come to an answer first bat, first crack.
1: No, right? no, definitely
0: not. So you're gonna you're gonna find your way through it and it's interesting that you say this, that when you're, when you're doing this and you're finding that students still come out at 90% and some still come out at 70%, you're not throwing away the assessment in the sense that it still counts and it's still showing that they can do it, It yeah. they're just doing it differently. Exactly. Right? And so the fear of a student failing an exam because you're doing something different now gets minimized. Because you're statistically proving, look, it's not making that big of a difference on the low end. Mm-hmm. The, the mm-hmm. question that comes to my mind is, how much are they actually firing on what the stuff that they're learning? Because we know that, you know, if you read something, think about it, write about it, and then teach it, it you're more likely to remember it and remember it for long term. Yeah right? Yeah. And this is what gets me so excited about the difference between what we call pedagogy and andragogy or andragogy, right? In the sense that pedagogy is that practice of how we teach and andragogy is the study of how adults learn. Right. And so I may be splitting hairs and saying, you know, I I can see one versus the other, but um, I'm really starting to dig into it. I started just this you know weekend ago when this episode releases a couple weekends ago maybe in a month ago that i'm really starting to look at the difference between pedagogical approach and andragogical approach meaning in my own practice so in pedagogy that to me right now and somebody may correct me on this later or whatever to me pedagogical approach means what am i doing in my craft how am i honing how am i sharpening what am i getting rid of what am i finding how am I getting better at what I do? The pra- that, and That's why we call this podcast Praxis Pedagogies, because practice makes better. And so that's a reflection on me. And then when I look at the andragogy piece of it, how well do I understand how adults learn? Because that's where I live. I live in adult education. So how well do I understand how adults learn? And so when I start learning how adults learn, now I start folding in my pedagogical piece with the andragogical piece. And hopefully that Mm -hmm. makes music and unicorns and everyone's happy. (laughs) Well,
1: that's just it. It's not a either or it's a both end, right? Because you, you do need to focus on your practice and how you're getting your information out there, how you're engaging with your students. But at the same time, we need to be fully aware of how our students are learning and what can we do to help them.
0: Yeah. And there's even a piece of that metacognition where you know, because I said it just a little while ago that I'm trying to learn how adults learn. Well, guess what? I'm an adult. Well, mm-hmm. well, at least at least I'm an adult sometimes, and 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 I'm learning how adults learn. I'm, in fact, one could argue, I'm learning how I'm learning. Yeah. Right. So I'm yeah. learning how I can uh, apply different things, different tools, different. Avenues, whatever you want to call it, different ways into the brain, as one person has said to me a few times, which I really like that different avenues into the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, taking that approach and going, okay, this is not so much a, and again, I'm probably just splitting hairs, but this is not so much a pedagogical approach as it is an andragogical approach, especially when we look at the trades that we're coming out of. And even I can even see it being applied into my leadership courses or the organizational behavior courses that I teach, the supervisory skills courses that I teach, in that I, I'm I want I want my class to be responsible for how what they learn, mm-hmm. right? So yes, like next term I'm going to use nothing but open resource,
1: and, which is awesome,
0: and and I'm going to I'm going to change everything in in that course. Um, so that means PowerPoints are going to change, my lecture is going to change um and i'm going to get them to do more work together in their teams and some of that's going to be online work so learning to work remotely as opposed Mm -hmm. to only working when they're seeing each other face to face yeah that's that's not only a pedagogical approach and how i'm changing the way i teach that's also an andragogical approach because i'm looking at the way adults learn and saying to myself okay I'm going to try and touch on this piece and I'm going to try and touch on this piece. and I'm going to try and touch mm-hmm. on this piece, AKA mm, learning styles. And we're, <laughs> we're, we're going to touch on these things to help people learn the content. And then I don't know what, what the end product is going to be. And I got 12, thir- 13 weeks to do that.
1: <laughs> but that's, isn't that the fun of it for me anyways, is to figure out how to do that. Yeah. And so that's where your creativity can kind of come in and say, okay, there's, especially if you're adding online and trying to blend the course, man, that opens up a lot because you can get a lot more information into them through other sources than just you standing up lecturing or going through powerpoints oh yeah oh yeah for sure
0: for sure and next term like i'm already i'm getting hyped up here next term i'm teaching a class that's all day saturday for six seven six weeks all day saturday Mm -hmm. and so i'm i'm with them now for uh, seven and a bit hours plus lunch and a break right yeah this is going to be awesome because i know how long it takes me to go through the content when I'm teaching it, lecture-ish. Now it, I get. Now I get to play with them. I get to mold them and, and force them to do things that that they wouldn't get to experience in a in a normal classroom environment. In the sense that if they went to day school or night school, right. I'm lo- I'm so
1: looking forward to this. Yeah, that to be so much fun. Oh, it's, it's gonna like, be. Like a, yeah, you, you've got a canvas, a new canvas. It's completely open, and you get to. Uh, yeah. Yeah, see what you can do with it. I'm freaking out.
0: I'm freaking <laughs> to the end, and I don't want to shut it down prematurely, but as we're coming up to the yeah. end, I have some specific questions. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I'm ready okay. For
0: them. Okay. Okay. So number one, uh, what are the top two books that have influenced you the most uh, recently?
1: Well, I wouldn't even go so far as to say recently. I would say An Urgency of Teachers, I would highly, highly, highly recommend due to the subject matter that we're speaking on. Jesse Stommel and Sean Michael Morris have been influential in my thinking as far as my pedagogy of kindness and bringing my students into the collaboration process. Like it all began with that book. And that was about a year ago that I read that book. So I could not recommend that book enough. It's a collection of kind of blog posts and um, articles that they've both kind of written and not kind of written they both have written (laughs) (laughs) kind of written they they, kind of wrote this
0: (laughs) they kind of wrote that so
1: it's just if you want to be challenged and like get your highlighter out and get ready to highlight so much throughout that book like mine is almost completely highlighted with different colors and i've gone through it a few times and (laughs) do
0: you use a different color every time you read yeah yeah. Ah, see, that's what I do. I think that's a smarter way to I do agree. it,
1: but that's just because I do it that well, way. Well, no, I do, because it, then it all blends in. You might as well just not highlight if you don't do that, right? It's a good tip. Yeah, exactly. And then the second book that I would highly recommend right now that I'm reading is called Small Teaching by James Lang. And you'll hear a lot of people talking about it, but it's just, there's quick wins in how you can change how you're doing things. Um, I think so often we come to these we get like we listen to podcasts like this one or the ones that we both listen to, and you're like, oh, like it sounds so exciting, but where do I start? Like it just is so overwhelming. When
0: oh yeah, like, exactly.
1: But this book, Small Teaching, he talks about how no, here's those, here's some small steps that you can take at different stages. So highly recommend doing that. Going to reading that book as well. Really, really super easy read. And then again, there's just so much takeaway and like some great exercises that you can use like right now with your class. So highly recommend those oh he he puts exercises in yeah the book? oh yeah there's totally he just says okay well try this and try that it's great like there's hands-on stuff that huh. you can do that's amazing yeah. i'll have to lend it to you when i'm done
0: well i'll just buy my own book because that's just how i yeah, roll well, then buy your own book but do it i no, not that i don't appreciate your your generosity no. and your kindness <laughs>
1: <no>. <laughs>
0: i know how i feel i know how i feel about my yeah i know i'm the understand. same way
1: but and then I lend them out and they never come back. And I forget who I lent them to. Oh, I never forget. I write them yeah, down. I don't write them down. I, need to do that. I mean, There's so yeah. many Blu-rays, DVDs, CDs, probably LPs, tapes, and everything out there that were at once all mine. <laughs> yeah.
0: See, and I, do you have a stamp? No, I don't. I have a stamp. It has my name on it and says return when done. It's like getting it from a library. And then I mark it on certain pages in every book. So my wife's like, you just, you're... Weird, but I'm like, it's hey, it's how I know it's my book. True, and like, and it's not like I've been, I've had people steal my books in the past. And go, whoa, I'm gonna show them this time. And I do this, and that. I was just like, you know what? I'm, I really like this book. I value books, and um, I'm gonna be a nerd, and I got a book stamp. And guess what? I'm stamping my
1: book. Thanks very exactly. much. What? Well, it's what I do. To go on a whole thing about <laughs> books, but I, I feel like I have relationships with books. And so I write, oh, I'm totally. writing in the margins, I'm highlighting things and I need to go back to them. And if I've lent it out, then it's gone and yeah. I can't get it back.
0: No, it's, they're a, they're a resource, mm-hmm. right? And I learned this most in my master's class, my master's uh, degree. But I mean, I was, I was a student of books long before that anyway. And, but uh, like, no, I, I have, I have books that I go back to time and time and time again. They're dog-eared. They've got post-it notes in them. They've got the margins are written in. I've got coffee stains on them. <clears throat> I've got tear stains on some. Um but, you know, they're they're beloved and um <clears throat> I'll even go so far as to say that I have duplicates of some books that I've never touched cuz I know that I will mark this one up a lot. And I don't want to like, I want to go back and look at it years later. And um, so I, I won't get into it too far, but that's how nerdy I am with books. And the other thing I love going to Victoria and going to Russell books. So if anybody listening to this podcast, if you're in the Victoria, British Columbia area, and you're there for any length of time, more than two hours, you have to go to Russell books. It is Oh, if you love books, I'm talking the ceilings are 15 feet tall and their bookshelves go from floor to ceiling. Like there is no right. ventilation space. It is, oh dude, it is magnificent when it comes to, and they have old books. They have new books. They've got like vintage books. They've got books that have been on a print for a long time. You can order books. You can go online. and I mean, I'm, I'm going on What's on. <laughs> well, for, like,
1: have you been to Powell's in Portland, Oregon? The same idea, and it's gigantic.
0: Yeah, except, you know, Victoria's a little closer than Portland. But there is a ferry. Anyway, don't don't get me started. Anyway, um, good. So those two books, Urgency of Teachers, Small Teaching. Um, Can you tell us top two, three people you follow on Twitter who add value to your pedagogical approach?
1: Definitely. Um, number one, right off the hook, you, if you're not following at that site professor, Rajiv Jangiani, he's like one of the top guys that got me right into this. I started following him. I saw him speak actually it was almost two years ago at BCIT and I went up right to him right away and just said, I I cannot express to you how much I appreciate because he talks a lot about, he's getting sick and tired of people talking about how the millennials you know, are not learning and they're entitled. He says, it's not about that. and We need to start respecting our students. Anyways, he went on and on about it. And ever since then, I started following him. And now I, I, I feel so very fortunate that he actually works at a school that's just across the street from us. And I actually get to go have lunch with him every once in a while. So yeah. fantastic. If you're ever into open educational resources and open ed- educational pedagogy or OEP or any kind of open at all check out at that psych professor he is unbelievable and then dig deeper the second one that I would recommend is his partner in crime Robin DeRosa at that uh, I'm not sure I can't remember what the story of her Twitter handle is, is at actual ham I'm sure there's a crazy story with that one oh, we've heard there's but, a story we'll find out oh, the there, story. there is and if you go to um, Terry Green has his podcast getting there He she tells a story on her interview with him so that's a little cross promotion for Terry Green yes. there there you go Terry <laughs> but I, same thing like she they do a lot of work together and they present a lot together so she has a lot of great resources in regards to all that sort of stuff as well she had a project where she had her students working on an English literature like a, a what we call it? I'm completely drawing a blank an anthology an English anthology where she had the students go out looking for public domain um, writings and then added into this anthology and they used a a program called Hypothesis to annotate it it's just it's brilliant and so she kind of talks a lot about that so those would be my two big ones that I would definitely definitely recommend checking out if you're just stepping your toe into it Mm -hmm. I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir for a lot of people who are listening to this podcast probably are very aware of who they are
0: sure but
1: they're definitely worth checking out and my third one is at Jess Mitchell like she's Jess Mitchell is phenomenal again she's a lot about critical and she talks a lot about inclusivity in pedagogy And so she's got a a blog on Medium that you need to go and read through her articles. Every time she releases one, they're utterly brilliant and you're almost like in tears by the end of it. So it's uh, she is definitely worth checking out when you're on Twitter. So, yeah, those are my three that I would give off the top.
0: Nice. What's captured your attention the most in OER, OEP world lately?
1: When it comes to what I'm like a squirrel type of thing, right? Any kind of shiny object gets me.
0: <laughs> or like that, what I've said before in the other podcast, when you that word cannonball,
1: cannonball, yeah, you are like yeah. that, you just dive right in, brother. Exactly. So for me right now, it's exciting is I'm, I'm working on ways to uh, work on formative assessment with my students. I give them lots of little H5P quizzes that they can take in practice. And then uh, I was listening to a podcast a little bit ago, and somebody was mentioning using SMS texting, just text and they would like send a random text to their students at the end of a, of a day. And like your students, when they finish the course, generally they shut their brains off as far as the course is concerned. They turn it back on when it's time for schoolwork or homework, if you give any. And then they just turn it off again and watch their Netflix, play their video games, and go to bed. But why not have these random text messages, random text quizzes come through that could be gamified for points or badges or whatever that your students get at random times that they send in? Like they get the text message, they look at it. If it's appropriate at the time, and then they answer it, and then whether they get it right or wrong, I mean, our students have all have text text messaging, or most of them do. In my experience, anyways, with my classrooms, all of my students have cell phones. Not all of them are cool with downloading certain apps. Like, not some are not, are not comfortable with WhatsApp. Some are not comfortable with Facebook. Some are not comfortable with Slack. So, text messaging would be a way to include a lot more people that kind of sit on the outer outer ridges of not wanting to get involved into social media so much. So that's kind of something i'm playing around with and seeing what's out there and kind of gamifying that's my next one is kind of gamifying make things more interesting that way
0: yeah that'd be cool that'd be really cool gamifying trades it would always be like you know halo for trades
1: (laughs) yeah that'd be a good one
0: war of toolcraft or something like that
1: there you go hey yeah 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 yeah
0: tm that pretty quick All right, man. That's good. This is a good episode. I love it. Um, yeah, it's fun. I love, the, I love the rant on books that you both did. Uh, we both did <laughs> that. It was, uh, fantastic, and uh, yeah, um, really good. So this is uh, episode. Uh, what is it? Three, four now of the of the of the uh, Christmas special that we got going on. we got a couple more coming and the fireside uh,
1: chats, if you will, fireside
0: <laughs> crackle, crackle, crackle. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll have a fire sound in the background, <laughs> um, along with some jazz. And then, uh, we can have, well, I won't go any further than that. Anyway, yeah. we can, uh, we'll have that. We'll have a couple more. And then in the calendar year, we've got some bang up guests coming in mm-hmm. and, uh, I am really excited to sit down and chat with these, uh, these people. Um, they are, they are very impressive in their resumes and applications and what they do for uh, for higher ed and, and teaching us how to be better at our craft of teaching
1: and to be better people that's what and I find too like just not even our craft it's some of these people are just making me want to be a better version of Chad oh yeah. hug hug time <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway thanks again everybody for listening to uh, this episode and uh, we hope you enjoyed it give us a five star rating on the uh, the iTunes podcast Uh, podcast platform if that's what you're listening to if you're listening anywhere else and there's a rating system give us the maximum rating because that makes us feel super super good Mm -hmm. and um, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast because you might get some free stuff uh, through the website praxispedagogy.com spell it as you hear it it's all good and um, otherwise we will catch you on the other side and uh, it's been a pleasure
1: has. thank you everyone see you next time out Hey, that was good.